Hey Amarillo, my name is Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This week's episode is sponsored by Six Car Pub and Brewery. Now there are a ton of things I love about this new restaurant and the first downtown brewery in Amarillo. The food and the beer are great, but one of the things I really appreciate is that the guys behind Six Car, even though it's a brand new business, are really, really interested in the past. In everything they do, they're respecting the past and they're paying homage to the history and spirit of Amarillo and the Panhandle, which means a lot, even in the context of this episode. So if you haven't eaten there yet, go check them out, sixcarpub.com. Today's guest is Mildred Darton. So February is Black History Month. We're near the end of it, and I wanted to honor that by talking about North Heights. I had the privilege of learning more about the history of this neighborhood through my work on the North Heights Art Project. Now, during the days of segregation, this neighborhood, which is one of the oldest in Amarillo, was where most of the city's African Americans lived. Mildred is the president of the North Heights Advisory Association, and she, along with a lot of the residents of this neighborhood, worked with the city to create the North Heights Neighborhood Plan. So we talked about her experience growing up in the North Heights, the impact of desegregation on this community, and some of the continuing needs in this part of town. This wasn't always a comfortable conversation, and I think that applies to both of us, but I I think it's a necessary one. One of my goals with this podcast is to start conversations and allow listeners to hear from perspectives that are different from their own. And Mildred offers a really powerful one. Anyway, here's Mildred Darton. Mildred Darton, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me, Jason. Well, I I know there's a lot of things I want to talk about with you, but before we get to any specific topics, I want to hear your story, how you ended up in this area in the first place. So tell me what brought you to Amarillo. What brought me to Amarillo was my mom, who was a single parent with five children. Wow. We came to help take care of my grandmother. We moved here in 59. And where did you move from? I moved from a little town called Quitiquay, Texas. Okay. Still in the panhandle? Still in the panhandle. But a pretty different environment from Amarillo. It was, it was different in regards to that. It was small. My great-grandfather owned the land. So we worked the fields, took care of the land, and just grew up around family. Two-room school, kind of isolated. Right. What kind of farming did he do? They did cotton. And then uh, were you born there? Or? I was. And then how old were you when you moved? We, we moved to Amarillo when I was 13. That was the first year that Carver School opened. Now, tell me, you know, I, I understand that moving... As a 13-year-old, I mean, that's a, an interesting time of life for, for any person. You're not only moving to a new community, but you're moving to a much larger community uh, and from a rural setting to a more urban setting or at least a bigger city setting. Mm-hmm. So tell me, I mean, tell me what that was like. What did you find when you came here? It was scary moving from a two-room school to a big school like Carver and finding segregation. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel segregated in Quay, but after moving to Amarillo, going to restaurants, we had to go to the back door, going to the grocery store. We never went to the back door in Quay because people lived 
in the back, and they had the storefront. I experienced segregation for the first time at the age of 13 in Amarillo. Wow. Now, that, that may run contrary to what a lot of people think, that, that maybe a smaller town is a little more, more divisive, or just being smaller than an urban area that has a little bit more diversity. But you found that to be the opposite. It was here. the opposite. We were able to go to the theater. We went through the front door, but we had to sit in the balcony. We're in Amarillo. We had to go through the back door right. and sit in the balcony. You know, not having grown up in that and then suddenly being in the middle of it as a 13-year-old, um, what did that feel like? What did you discover? I mean, did that feel surprising to you? Were you prepared for that? It was like, you know, just a puzzle. I was very sheltered. I wasn't allowed to move about freely like the children that grew up here. I had an older brother that I couldn't leave home unless he was with us. Okay. And once he uh, got killed, then I was on the porch for the most part. We weren't allowed to go places, not even in the neighborhood, until we had been here probably maybe about three months because it was such a large area. Mm -hmm. Growing up on the farm, you you can't get lost because you can see for miles. But in a town like Amarillo, North Hikes was thriving at the time. A lot of, you know, businesses, cafes, restaurants, things that I wasn't accustomed to seeing. Did it take you a while to feel comfortable here? It did. It took me a while because it was totally different. Things that I didn't see in the country I saw in Amarillo, you know, cars on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Because I lived, I grew up on Hugh Street. And that was the main street, Busy in, street in North Hikes. So I could sit on the porch and be entertained just watching people in cars. Where in the country, it was we played with t- old tires, marbles, things like that. What was Carver like going to school there? I mean, that it, it was a big school, you know? It was a big school. And first, it was really scary coming from a two-room school and then coming to a school the size of Carver. But it was easy... Once I started making friends and the teachers, you know, it was an environment that I liked. It was more kids. It was more things to do. And the curriculum was was great. But the books, were, it still looked the same. Hmm. We had used books. Take pages torn out. Um, the N-word written on, on the pages. Really? Yes. But it was, it was, it was okay. I, I enjoyed the band, something that I didn't even know existed in the country because we didn't have anything like that. Right. The band, the majorette, the football team, basketball, tennis court, all of that was new to me. I, there's a lot of directions I'd like to go, but, but thinking about the North Heights neighborhood back then, when you had so many small businesses, when it was... Like you said, it was a thriving community. Mm-hmm. I'd like you to compare that to today, to what it's like today. Day and night. Okay, in what ways? In every way. The only, the only difference, well, when, I, when, I moved to, when we moved to Amarillo, there was only one paved street in North Hikes, and that was North Hughes. All of the streets, all of the other streets were still dirt streets. It was, it was thriving because... 
we were segregated, but we had everything we needed right here in North Heights. We had a medical doctor, two mm-hmm. dentists, three grocery stores. We had a drugstore, restaurants, taxi stand, everything we needed, park. Now we have no grocery stores. We have no community school, no doctor, no dentist, you know, no type of medical facility in North Heights. But we have all our streets paved. Still don't have sidewalks, but we have paved streets now. And that, I think, is what, you know, the North Heights, what happened because of desegregation. We lost our schools. I want to ask about that because from the perspective maybe that I grew up with, desegregation was seen as a good thing, you know, a product of civil rights and that now we're going to have black kids and white kids who are in classes together. And that was it was supposed to be a positive, you know, for maybe both both races or all mm-hmm. races. But what it did was it ended up taking this North Heights community that was thriving in the 50s and the early 60s and messing it up in a lot of ways. Is, is that accurate to say? Yes. How, I mean, walk me through that. For somebody that didn't experience it, that didn't go through that, how did that work and, and what was the process? It, it, it didn't affect me the way it affected the children coming behind me. Because you had graduated by had graduated, that time, right? Exactly. But in talking with some of the, the people that were, were still here and still in school and their children, the way they divided what they call the school zone. If you live next door to little Johnny, well, you would go to one school, little Johnny would go to another. Right. And it broke up friendships. It dissolved neighborhoods. Kids that you've gone through school with for for many years and best friends, close friends, and they it busted it them completely you know, as if it was done with no heart, as if they didn't matter. Mm-hmm. So like on, on some parts of town, you know, you have kids who grow up in the same neighborhood and they all go to school together. They're in classes together. But what happened in the North Heights is kids that grow up in the same neighborhood, they're not in school together. And so it fragments the whole community. Is that, is that right? You don't have the chance to make those connections with, with your peers. That, that's exactly correct. Fragmentation. And it's still seen in the neighborhood today. We are still fragmented. And the powers that be doesn't seem to care. Now, there's discussion of, you know, opening up a new school or or putting a a new school in the North Heights so that the kids still don't have to be bussed away. Is is that something that you think, you know, will happen within within a few years? Or is, is that a dream? I mean, what how do you feel about that? I think I think that's a dream. I served on a committee, community school committee, where we talked about having a community school. We don't have enough children in the neighborhood that warrants spending the kind of money it would take to build a school. When we have three, three schools already in the community, I was surprised that they were even talking about, I mean, I was surprised that even came up building a school. We have... Uh, North Heights. Now they're getting ready to move that program to ACAL. North Heights was built to be a school in this community. Why not 
turn it back into a school. But what I'm hearing is AISD want to use it as a professional administrative hub. But our children are still on the bus stop in all, all kind of weather, as if nobody cares. And they're going pretty long distances to get to school. So it's, it's the bus stop early in the morning. or Children are on the bus stop 530, 545, 6 mm. o'clock in the morning, passing three schools to go across town to a school. The time that the children spend getting to school on a bus, getting from school back home, you, you're talking over an hour, mm-hmm. over an hour. Do you think that you know, some of the problems in the North Heights area that are the result of that and, and you know, a, a host of other issues, are, are those problems that can be resolved? Are they, do, do you see a future where the North Heights gets closer to that place where it was thriving, but maybe with less of the segregation that you had in the, the middle part of the century? There is hope that North Heights can redevelop and revitalize. There's always hope. But in any community, you have to have two basic entities, which is city government mm-hmm. and, and the school district. Without schools, parents will not move in a community that, where there is no school. Right. You won't move into a community where you have to put your child in first grade on the bus stop. City needs to come in and help with the North Heights plan and we do have a plan in place to redevelop and re- revitalize the city, I mean the community, but without the city's help with the zoning. The zoning in, in North Heights is just atrocious. You have homes sitting on, on commercial zone property. Hmm. Case in point, right next to my mother's home, there were three homes on that one block, and I, was, I assumed three houses this land is zoned residential. Come home one day and there's a big barn built right next door. The land was is commercial. Hmm. It sounds to me like like one of the reading between the lines, you know, one of the things that's significant here is that families, like say you have young families of school kids, they're not moving into the North Heights because that means a disruption in school. They'll have to put their kids on the bus, they might go to a school miles and miles away. So families that maybe start in this area are moving out and they're not coming back. And so you're, you're losing maybe the, the younger generations. You're losing some of the vibrant people who tend to start new businesses or make things happen. And that's why the neighborhood has sort of declined over the years. Exactly. The, the young people, especially our young professionals, they've all moved, moved away. Grandma's perhaps still left. Mm-hmm. But she's up in age and, you know, can't do a whole lot. She's not going to start a new business. No, no, no businesses. You know, children, they're not coming for that reason. No school and no housing. Houses are being demolished at a record pace in North Heights. And nothing is being built. It's, it's just demolished, demolished, demolished. But nothing is being talked about as far as home ownership. Duplexes are coming in, but no homes. Is that a, a zoning issue? Is that maybe an issue of vision that, that you don't have people saying, I see an opportunity there. I'm going to go invest in this community. 
there are plenty of opportunities in North Heights. One of our major problems is infrastructure. Okay. Certain areas in North Heights, there's no water or sewer. Right. That is not very attractive to developers. Because a lot of money has to be put in first before they can even start what they want to do. And they're dependent on the city or the utilities. Exactly. I'd like to talk a little bit about your life after you graduated, uh, after Carver. You didn't stay around here. Is that right? That's right. I, I moved away in 79 because I was one of those parents that my child was not going to be on the bus stop. Okay. So I moved away. I was gone over about 35 years. Where is away? I first moved to Minot, North Dakota. Okay. That's pretty far away. <laughs> <laughs> I married a, a, a GI okay. in the Air Force. So we moved to North Dakota, from North Dakota to Tucson, Arizona. Okay. From one extreme to the other. Exactly, yeah. From Tucson, I moved to Fort Worth. Had the opportunity to come back to Amarillo, but because of the job opportunities, was better in Fort Worth than in Amarillo. So I decided to move to to Fort Worth. In Fort Worth, I worked for the Small Business Administration Office of Disaster Assistance. I worked natural disasters. I worked the four hurricanes in Florida, Katrina, Sandy. Came home on a visit after working natural disasters, and I found a man-made disaster. Back here in Amarillo. Back here in Amarillo. Houses demolished. Neighborhood just wasn't the same. It looked as if, you know, no one really cared about the neighborhood anymore. It was a different place. Tell me about the work you did with the disaster assistance. Was it providing loans to victims of the disaster? I mean, what, what kind of work did you do in that office? What we did, we um, determined eligibility for people to get long-term low-interest loans okay. from the federal government. If we could not, if they could not afford a loan, we would refer them back to FEMA for possible grant assistance. And you did that for how many years? I did that for 15 years. After we would help them with their application, and there was those that did get loans, we would help them with the closing documents. Okay. Explaining the program, you know, what they needed to do, how they needed to do it to get back to where they were. And how long have you been back in Amarillo after those years in Fort Worth? I've been back approximately three years. Came back in 2016. Having lived in a large city like Fort Worth... Um, a very diverse city, and then coming back here to Amarillo, which in terms of diversity, maybe in terms of the progressivism of the city, has changed a lot since the 1950s. What, what did you find here? I mean, even apart from North Heights, what was the city like coming back to it as an adult, you know, having left it as a young person? In one way, it's still the same. I still don't see anyone that looked like me okay. in City Hall and other places in Amarillo, where I do in Fort Worth. I, I don't think that our young people here have the opportunity, even after attending, you know, graduating college, they don't feel that there is anything here for them. And so maybe the best and the brightest are, are moving away. They're, they're not sticking around here. Exactly. Exactly. How do we fix that? That's a good question. And I, I sit on the board for at St. Anthony's Legacy and Redevelopment Corporation. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that we are strongly addressing 
and asking questions. What would it take for you to stay here or to go get your, your degree mm-hmm. and come back? Right. And that question we, we, we're still asking. We're still gathering information, not just from the young graduate, but from the parents. Because so many, especially in the African-American community, they tell their children, you go get your, your, your education. Don't come back here. I mean, that's coming from, from that's the parents' coming from generation. The parents. Why, exactly. do they, why do they say that? Is, is there, are there fewer opportunities here than they might find in a larger city? Or is, it, is, is there still more lingering racism maybe in a smaller area, in an isolated area like this, than in some of the larger cities? Well, we both know racism is still alive and well. Yes. You can legislate laws, but you cannot legislate the heart or the mind. Racism will be with us until we decide. We as human beings decide. Everybody's human. We, we have no total control. And it's also that there, there are no, no opportunities here for African-American young, you know, young people. You don't see it. You can't see what you can't be. You can't be what you can't see. And they don't see the opportunities. Mm-hmm. And for the most part... What the neighborhood that we've grown up in, there are no opportunities. North Heights, we don't have, we don't have what we need. I'd like you to help educate me and and maybe my listeners. Um, and and I know this is probably a hard thing for all of us to talk about, but you know, there's there's a perspective uh, within. Let's let's say somebody like me. I, I grew up in a mostly white part of town. I grew up in a family where going to college was expected, and where you know I was told from an early age, you can do anything you want. You know, just work hard. You know, and you'll find your way. And for me, that that proved pretty true. And so, a lot of people who grow up in that situation, they just think, well, you know, why don't why don't these smart black kids? just work hard and they'll find themselves great careers and they'll be successful and then they can you know do whatever they want but that's not always the case the the place that i started isn't the same as the place that they started so can can you help help us to understand why that is why it's not as easy as saying well you just got to work hard and go to college and you'll find a good job and you'll build a good career that's not easy because first of all your parents were probably College educated. Yes. In most African-American homes, the parents are not educated. And they tell you to, you know, go to school, work hard, you know, get a job. But if you don't have that guiding finger mm-hmm. to say, this is what you're going to do. You're going to do this, this, and Somebody this. to walk you through Somebody it. Somebody to even. walk you through This it. is how you apply to college. Exactly. Or. Because I, I find kids, you know, young adults, even today, that graduated from Tascosa that wanted to go to WT. And I said, well, why didn't you go? I couldn't afford it. Well, did you not try for scholarships? I didn't know anything about that. And I asked, oh, were your parents, either one of your parents, college graduates? No. They, we don't have, we don't have a level playing field. Okay. Even in, you know, integrated schools, it's just not there. <laughs> what? I, I want to ask, what's the answer to that? You know, obviously, if you had the answer, you know, we wouldn't be dealing with a lot of these issues. But you know that th- those things, 
seem like things that can be overcome, that should be overcome, but why are they not being overcome? You know, it's, it's 2019. I feel like we've come a long way, you know, since the days of civil rights, but that's because I didn't grow up in this, you know? So, so tell me why we have not made the progress that we should have made. I think we haven't made the progress because we have not adhered to Dr. King's message. Stop looking at the color of the skin and look at the content of the character. And as I said, you you can legislate a lot of things, but you cannot legislate what's being taught in the homes. Hmm. You cannot legislate personal feelings and ideas. You have to find it within yourself to know that the pigmentation of my skin was, was not left to me, and neither was yours. Right. And some, sometimes things are just so deeply rooted. And if I can benefit from that, I'm, I'm going to keep it around. Hmm. What kind of progress has been made along those lines? You know, in, in Amarillo, Texas, 2019, compared to Amarillo, Texas, you know, 1959, 1960s. Has it been real progress, do you think, in your mind? I think, it's, I think there's been an attempt but I don't think it was an honest attempt. What does that mean? I think that, you know, we, we go through situations and we have engagement. You know, we'll, we'll talk about it, and that's as far as it goes in, in so many cases. We talk about it, oh, yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But if you're not forceful, it, it'll just, like, for instance, North Hikes plans in previous years, there was planning that the community engaged in. That plan went in a binder, placed on a shelf, and eventually disappeared. That type of dishonesty. You, you mentioned representation in the city government, that, that that's mm-hmm. not something that, that you've seen, or at least you have not seen a, enough of that over the right. years. Is that one of the solutions to have more representation from this neighborhood or from the African-American community? And, and it, if so, like, why has that not happened? More representation is definitely needed. Why is it not happening? Because the powers that be don't want to have a single member district. So we're elect, electing at-large mm-hmm. city council members, right. and they might all live in the southwest side of town. Mm-hmm. But the entire city is who they're representing. So if, if, say, you were, we were electing from a certain district, you might have someone who lives in the north side of town or who lives in the southeast side of town representing the interests of those people. Exactly. You, you, you need someone representing you that know your struggle, know, know what's needed, and have the compassion to care enough to see to it being done. You spent your formative years here. You moved away, and now you've, you've come back, and, and you've jumped right back in. I mean, you're an activist. You're working in this area. You're representing, you know, the people of the North Heights. If, if Amarillo has not always been a friendly place to you or to your community, do you still feel at home here? Is, is this a place that you still love? Of course. Amarillo is home to me. I do love it. Uh, that's the reason I work so hard in the community to try— to get both sides together, not just people thinking, well, I called the city and they didn't respond. 
Well, I'm going, who did you call? Which department? Just the city. A lack of communication, perhaps. A lack of interest. But North Heights seems to be disconnected from city government, except for a few people. Do you have hope that we're on a maybe an upward path, that, that maybe we're moving a little bit toward a better future I with the North Heights plan, with you know some of the, the things that have been happening? And d- does it feel like a hopeful time, or does it feel like you're still just not sure? Sometimes it feels hopeful, and other times I'm, I think we take one step forward, two steps back. It's like the, the light is blinking, you know, we want the light to stay on and shine bright, brightly, but it's, it's just blinking. I want to ask a question that I think about a lot, and, and this may say too much about me, you know, but I think, okay, I understand some of the needs in the North Heights. I understand, you know, the things that, that would be beneficial. And I think, how can I help? What can I do to, you know, because I went to see Amarillo succeed as an entire community, I want to, that means every community needs to be strong, every, every piece of that. And so I think, well, maybe there's something I can do to help with that. Is that me having like a, a white savior complex that I think, well, I'm the only one who can fix this? Or how, how can somebody who's just, say, a, a professional, you know, a, a parent, a middle-aged person who sees this kind of need, like, what can, what can I do about it? How can I be an advocate for, for change or for improvement in, in some of these communities that are not my communities? That's a good question. I ask myself the same thing each day I wake up. How can I get the community enthused? How can I get them engaged? The fourth Thursday of every month, we have an open meeting, open community meeting. Come, bring your questions, bring your situations Sometimes we, we have maybe 10 to 15 people. We, are in a, we have a diverse community now. When I grew up here, it was predominantly black. We mm-hmm. had one, one white family in, in North Heights. Now we have a, a multitude. It's mixed. I've knocked on doors. You know, they don't, oh, yeah, we'll be there. Uh, you know, knowing less, knowing less. But the participation of the the residents in North Heights is not what it used to be. Hmm. And it's certainly not what it should be. Is there an openness in the community in investment or interest from outside the community? Does it, you know, because I, I know in some closely knit communities, uh, there may be some suspicion of an outsider coming in and saying, well, I, I, want to, I want to put in a, a housing complex or some apartments or I want to build some homes, you know, for homeownership. Hmm. Is, is that complicated in this area? It's not really complicated, but the only thing that's coming into the community now are duplex apartments, you know, low-income apartments. No one seems to be talking about home ownership. I know the developers are waiting to come in, and we also have, have this thought in the back of our minds, we don't want to overbuild. Okay. We, we don't want necessarily... Trying, we're not trying to keep anyone out, but to give North Hikes the opportunity to to get get on her feet um, with the plan, 
with re- revitalization of the St. Anthony's Hospital mm-hmm. before white money move in and we move out. That's the fear that That's as fear. white money moves in, right. that it may push out the residents that have lived here for years and years. Exactly. It, what, what role do you think St. Anthony's would have within this community? Tell me about that. St. Anthony's, with the plan that we are proposing and working diligently on, is to have training, co-ops, worker-owned businesses, financial training, you know, businesses that will generate you know, jobs for the people in the community. When St. Anthony's were functioning, North Hikes was thriving. It's, it's in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They could walk, ride their bikes. But when you take away one of the main sources of income into a community along with the schools, that community is just left barely with nothing. And so for, for listeners that don't know, instead of, you know, an abandoned building that St. Anthony's has been for at least 10, 15, maybe 20 years. I don't, I don't remember the, the date when they moved out. I know 10 years it's been. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like it was in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So, so now that, that building is, is sort of being renovated and turned into a larger community type of space, like you exactly. mentioned. What, what kind of timeline do we have for that? Well, we're looking at least five, five to 10 years. Because it is a huge project, 550,000 square feet plus 19 acres. That's, that's huge. That's a lot to renovate. It is. And it's going to take time. It's going to take resources. And it's going to take the community, not just North Hikes, but all of Amarillo. Because St. Anthony's is in a lot of people's hearts. They worked there. They were born there. They had relatives and friends to die there. So it's, it's not just a North Hikes, St. Anthony's, it's Amarillo, St. Anthony's. Now, I know you told me in the past that uh, you were only in Amarillo temporarily, that you might not be here, you know, for the rest of your life. Do, do, you, do you see yourself staying until the St. Anthony's project is finished, or what, what do you have for your future? I see myself staying as long as I'm needed, to the point that I must see my grand granddaughter graduate in Fort Worth. You must. I must do that. Okay. How many years is that? Two. I hope you I hope you come back after that. I'll think about it. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, this episode is sponsored by Six Car Pub and Brewery. Their sponsorship comes courtesy of my Patreon page, patreon.com slash hamarello where individual listeners like you can support the show on a monthly basis. Now, there are two things I want you to know. Number one, this podcast is free, and I always want it to be free. Number two, I'm self-employed and work for most of my clients as a writer on an hourly basis. So producing this podcast every week eats up several hours of my time, which is why I get sponsors for the show. Literally, it pays the bills. One of my other methods of support, though, is through Patreon, which offers support tiers for individuals or for businesses like Six Car. So if you appreciate this show, which is weekly and is always free, you can support it by going to my Patreon page. Learn more at patreon.com slash heyamarillo. That's Patreon with an E. Okay, I'm back with Mildred Darton. Mildred, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those questions in whatever degree of detail you would like to. 
the first one is specifically for you, and, and maybe this is something that we've talked about already, but what is one of the biggest needs right now, do you feel, in the North Heights area? One of the biggest needs I see right now is for from the AISD and from the city to be honest. Honest about what? Honest about redeveloping and revitalizing North Heights. It's going to take AISD placing a school in this neighborhood as a neighborhood school, especially for elementary. I would love to see elementary and middle school. Okay. The city being dedicated to provide what North Heights need. Don't let any other neighborhood plan override what we have here in North Heights. Okay. What's your favorite street in Amarillo? North Hughes. All right. I, I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> Tell me why. Because I, I, I remember North Hughes as being the busiest street in the neighborhood. I could sit on, on the porch and I could see all of my friends, everyone. If you went any place in North Hikes, you, you came down Hughes Street. Is it still that busy today? No. Not even people passing through? No. What does this area have too much of? Too much vacant land. Is that in reference to the North Heights area in particular or like all of the city? No, it's North Heights in particular. Right. As I stated earlier, it's, it's been tear down, tear down, tear down. There hasn't been a lot of build. They, they have the structures that are already earmarked that need to be torn down. Right. But no, nothing it's being talked about as far as rebuilding, replacing. A lot of times the development in Amarillo takes place on the edges, you know, the edges of town where there's a lot of space. Um, and it leaves like these big gaps in town. And so instead of building inside the city and taking advantage of the space there, we just keep spreading out. You would like to see some of these interior spaces be filled. Exactly. North, North Heights geographically sits on a hill. Right. We have rolling hills, valleys. It's very beautiful. Community in North Heights, a, a planned community, homes, schools, is an ideal place to, to, to live forever. How do we make that happen? That's a good question. I wish I knew the answer to that. I was hoping you had the answer to that. It can happen if, if the people will pull together, people being the city for one, AISD, and the financial backing. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? It does not have enough concern, honesty. Are you speaking citywide again, or are you speaking North Heights specifically? I'm, I'm speaking citywide on okay. that one, citywide. It takes a city to build a community. Strong communities make cities. Mm -hmm. It's like hand in glove. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? I tell people that Amarillo sits in a, a unique location. It's a good place to raise a family. Within four to six hours, you can be any place you, you want to mm -hmm. go for relaxation or just a, a weekend getaway. New Mexico, Colorado, Dallas, Fort Worth, Oklahoma. Start in Amarillo, and you can be there 
and time to have your evening meal. Yeah, that's true. What's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? The North Heights Discount Cafe on Northwest 18th. I've heard legendary talk about the nachos there. And that's the, that's a fantastic dish. And the fried to catfish. Really? Yes. Okay. Everything is good. Good. I've not eaten there, but um, it's definitely on my list. Good. What's your favorite kind of Amarillo weather? When the wind is just barely blowing, and I think the sunsets here are beautiful. Okay. From where my aunt's home is located. You still sit out on the porch there and mm-hmm. watch the sunset? I can sit on the porch and watch the sunset. I can go out back and watch the fireworks. Okay. When the sun is completely down, I can look north, south, east, or west. That's a virtue of being on a hilltop. That's the virtue of being on a hilltop. All right. Who is your favorite figure in Amarillo history? Charles Emmett Warford. All right. Tell me about him. Mr. Warford was my first employer. Was he really? When I came to Amarillo. And he had strong values, strong moral values. And he taught me a lot uh, as far as, you know, working, how to get along with people. His motto was, if you can't make a dollar, make a friend. Hmm. If they cry, you cry. They laugh, you laugh. Because of the type of business that he was in. Which was a, he was a A mortician. He was a mortician. He treated everyone as if they were a family or friend. He would, he would work with families that, you know, had slight problems, mm-hmm. you know, financial problems. He would work with them. He was very strong. He was very intelligent. He was smart. He could see things that perhaps others didn't see. He told me a story once he, his mom sent him to pay a bill, and he looked on the bill and saw Amarillo College. She was paying taxes, and he wanted to know why she was paying taxes on a school that he was unable to attend. Huh. That's a good point. hmm What was your first job at the mortuary? I was there just to make sure that, you know, if someone came by, I was to take them back to view the remains. If flowers came, I was to, to be there, just okay. someone to be there. Sort of receiving or— Receiving, Yeah. From, and I, I sat on the porch. Was that something you did like in high school or after well, that? I started at the age of 14. I was afraid, so I would sit on the porch. If flowers came, I would go with the deliverer to take the flowers in. Then I was back on the porch. But you didn't, you didn't want to be inside? No, I didn't want to be inside. <laughs> Eventually, it got easier, and then I, would, I could stay inside, and then I would answer the phone, Okay. take messages. So I worked for Mr. Warford through high school. And just because this, uh, we we haven't ever talked about this uh, on this podcast, but tell me the value of that business specifically within this community. The value of that business, it was the neighborhood funeral home. Mm-hmm. Whatever the neighborhood needed, the first thing came out of the mouth was Carl Warford. Because he wasn't just a leader as a mortician, but he was a leader as a businessman yes. within this community. Within this community, and not just with Afro-Americans, mm-hmm. but also in, in, in the white circle. Okay. He was the first black mortician of the year. Wow. And he, he was just an all-round person. 
you, you could talk to him, you know. Um, he was a father figure for a lot of the um, young men in the neighborhood. Mildred, that concludes my eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. And so, you know, for, for people that might be listening to this, what is something that, in your opinion, that they should experience or know about here within the city? I think they should, should know about the people. The people in, in, in Amarillo are, they are fun, they are interesting. Mm-hmm. And once you, you have to spend time here in Amarillo to really know Amarillo. Okay. Um, passing through won't work. You need to spend time because it is a fun place. It's a, a beautiful place. I know in certain areas it's flat, but just the overall city is a good place to be. And I, I endorse anyone to come be a part of what's what's happening in Amarillo now. Well, Mildred Darton, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. You're more than welcome. Thank you for having me. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Six Car for sponsoring the show. Thanks to Mildred for being my guest. And thanks to the United Citizens Forum in the North Heights area for hosting us. You can follow this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hey Amarillo Podcast, where I always post photos taken during these interviews. Also, if you can, if you want to, if you uh, appreciate the show, leave a review. Especially do it on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people discover the show. Executive producers of Hamarillo include Patrick Burns, Jennifer Callahan, Corey Burns, Daniel Davis, Wilson Lemieux, Katie Linger, Neil Nossiman, Ryan Pennington, and Wes Reeves. You can help produce the show, too, if you want to, by visiting patreon.com slash Thank you for listening. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.